Welcome back to Malleable Minds and well, today's episode requires malleability of the mind and this is because I'm not sure if you've heard about, um, you may or may not have, it's kind of blowing up at the moment, something called ChatGBT which is, well we'll get into about what it is but um, basically this this thing has come out. It's called ChatGBT, and I think it was within the, within the first day, or maybe it was the first week. But there was like a a million people who were who were using it, um, which is just unbelievable. And and we'll be able to tell why once we kind of get into it a little bit more. So I've written this down. Um, so I'm going to read it because it'll just make it easier to understand. <coughs> Pardon me. So ChatGBT stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. So let's quickly break this down as best as possible. So Chat, which means it uses language. Generative, it creates something. Pre-trained, which is... So we're going to go on a bit of a detour here. A bit of an exploration. So pre-trained means that it has a basic instruction manual, so to speak. So similar to how the linguist Noam Chomsky put forward the theory of language, uh, the the theory of the language acquisition device. So Noam Chomsky stated that humans have universal language. What he meant by this is that we see language used all around the world. We see babies and children babbling and typically picking up language easily. We have also seen terrible cases where children have been deprived of human interaction for years, such as a girl that scientists call Jeannie Wiley. This is not her real name, it was used for protection. But Jeannie Wiley was abused by her parents until she was rescued at the age of 13. So 13 years, she and her older brother, who I think was five years older, they were abused in really ways that kind of made me quite uncomfortable to kind of talk about, so I'm not going to go into that, but Jeannie regained some functioning to control going to the toilet and expressing herself through drawing, for example, but she was unable to develop language to any practical level aside from using the word sorry, which, yeah, uh, I don't really recommend people to read the story, but then at the same time, it, it just... You do learn a lot out of it, um, so I can't, I'll leave that up to you. Um, but this gives this gives Noam Chomsky's theory of, of language as something that is pre-trained. Remember I said that that word was important, or pre-programmed. It gives that theory of language some credibility. So to contrast it, the alternative would be that language is not pre-programmed into humans, you know, into DNA but could instead be something that is purely learnt by experience. Jeannie's story does not support the learning from experience model because she had the opportunity to learn after she was rescued, but she was unable, in theory, because the critical or crucial period in our DNA to learn language had passed. So let's say, just for argument's sake, and I haven't delved really deep into 
um, that area of study. But let's say, for example, by the age of five, if you hadn't started learning a language, then the critical period, that crucial period is over. And then now you can't learn, you either can't learn language or your ability to learn language and, and grammar and form complex sentences is going to be uh, greatly challenged. So we come back to chat GBT. What does it mean? Chat, again, uses language. Generative, it creates something. Pre-trained, we just explored why the model is likely needed to be pre-trained based off of how humans learn language. If it was not pre-programmed to have some objective, then it is seemingly impossible to begin anything. So an example of this that I like comes from the psychologist Jordan Peterson who says, let's play a game. Then you say, okay, sounds good. Then I say, great, you go first. What are you going to do? It doesn't make sense because you need to have some objective to know how to navigate through, through, through the world. Look, I'm, I'm sure that you could come up with some kind of smart aleck kind of response, but I, I suspect that you get what I was trying to convey. Um, so jumping back, then there is the transformer, that final part of chat GBT. So transformer refers to the ability to respond to input. So let's revisit, revisit um, in basic terms. ChatGBT is an app that is pre-programmed to transform your questions into a search that generates a response in a way that it feels like you're having a chat. I know that's still, <laughs> I said basic terms and it still kind of sounds complex. It's a long, um, a long, a long sentence, but I'll, I'll read it back through again just in case it was too much the first time around. So ChatGBT is an app that is pre-programmed to transform your questions into a search that generates a response in a way that feels like you're having a chat with something. So this can be compared to, let's say, asking Google a question and it gives you websites and sources, but it doesn't give you the exact answer you want. You basically, it would be amazing if you could just be told exactly what the answer is and, and just get all of it in one in one chunk, you don't have to piece it all together. <laughs> this probably aggravates, you know, those born before modern computers, bef uh, because Google already seemingly gives you the answer relative to, you know, back in the olden days when you know you're sourcing kilograms of books from the library. I will be upfront and admit that I'm not knowledgeable in the world of computer programming. I have broken that down based on what I've read and what I know from the psychology of language development. So not being an expert, I am instead a little cautious and very curious though of the social, economic and psychological outcomes of this technology. For a point of comparison, I have some quotes which define what ChatGBT is based on information that I found online. So by the Guardian newspaper, this is quote, the chatbot, the chatbot is a software application designed to mimic human-like conversation based on user prompts and can respond to a large range of questions while imitating human speaking styles, end quote. 
which I think is pretty clear. It doesn't necessarily go into why it does that. Um, at least not enough to my satisfaction, which is why I wanted to explore it a little bit more and integrate it a bit with things that I already have a little bit of knowledge or interest in. And then there's another quote by educationweek.org, which admittedly is a website that I've never heard of, but it says, so quote again, chat GBT launched on November 30th, I think it was 2022, and is now a free app slash website based on underlying GPT, which we know to be generative pre-trained transformer and develop the ability to write seemingly anything, including tweets, poems, essays, and even computer programs, all with a simple prompt. So what are some current stories about ChatGPT and how it's used? The Guardian newspaper has written about Microsoft supposedly expressing plans to utilize this software for their search engine Bing, which is like Microsoft's form of Google. I'm sure you've heard of it, but if not, then, um, well, now you have. I have to preface, though, that these claims, they haven't been uh, responded to by Microsoft or OpenAI, which is the organization that has developed the chat GBT program. However, the Guardian newspaper have said that two people with, quote, direct knowledge of the plans have reported uh, the following, which is that Microsoft have supposedly teamed up with OpenAI in the hopes of outdoing Google, which we'll get into some examples shortly at how from my introductory perspective that this is not as far-fetched as it may seem to take on you know the behemoth of Google. So Google is developing, apparently, its own language-based artificial intelligence, which is AI, if you haven't heard of that before, AI, artificial intelligence. So uh, in the kind of in the world of uh, software engineering, AI is also called machine learning, just for anybody who may have come across that before and didn't see the connection. I learned that from Lex Friedman, who has, I would say, one of the probably the best two podcasts in the world at the moment, in my opinion, that and probably Andrew Huberman. Um, so that's where I got that information from. Why this race, though, between who arrives first at linking this self-learning machine access to, to everything on the internet, why that matters is that it may be extremely difficult for anyone else to catch up. Again, I said it's a self-learning machine. So this leaves, this well, this would leave a monopoly of control and influence to very to a very powerful few or I guess in a more dystopian, which means kind of catastrophic view, it could perhaps, you know, be controlled, or the control could be left to nobody, and instead the machine can have all the control that kind of teaches itself. Again, I said that's a very dystopian view, but it's still plausible. And the reason why it's plausible is because Unlike with humans, it does not have to eat, sleep, or in you know the more social aspects, it doesn't have to ruminate over the embarrassing thing that it said and you know fall into a spiraling depression. It doesn't have to worry about any of that. So it may actually be, as what I've heard Elon Musk has apparently reported, that whoever makes it past 
a given line first wins, whatever that winning kind of might entail. So how does the interaction actually feel? What are its, what are its current limits? Which was exactly the question that I first asked to ChatGBT. So you go online, search up ChatGBT, you put in your email and create a password. And my first question was actually, sorry, not the limits, but it was whether it was conscious because I wasn't sure exactly what it was yet. To which it replied along the lines that it was a language learning model that responds to questions, but that it does not have feelings or have an experience. So in other words, it's not a sentient being in in any uh, form yet. (laughs) There was more, but that will kind of do for now. And I think with the introduction that we went through, I think hopefully that kind of paints a bit of a picture. But then I asked, what are your limits? And I'm just going to get my phone. Where did I put it there? Okay. I'm just going to get my phone and I'm just going to read out what its responses were. So I just said, what are your limits? It said, as a language model... Oh, let me just turn up my brightness. As a language model... I am designed to assist users in generating human-like text based on the input provided to me. I do not have personal experiences or physical abilities. Oh, there we go. It links up with the first question I asked. And I'm not able to browse the internet or access new information beyond what I was trained on. Yet. We will just add in there. Um, However, within the scope of the knowledge and skills I have been trained on, I am able to carry out a wide range of tasks and answer a variety of questions. If you have a specific question or topic you'd like to know more about, please don't hesitate to ask. So again, we see that kind of, that ability to interact on a human level. It feels like there's somebody on the other end of this. And look, there there can definitely be good uh, components to this too. If we just think of an area that I'm passionate in, which is psychology and in particular the therapeutic area of psychology or just therapy in general, if it feels like you're talking to someone, then that can be its own way of kind of working through problems and things like that. I haven't asked it any questions to go down the field of of mental health um, at the moment at least not in a therapeutic sense. We'll get to that later. Um, but there definitely can be some some good elements to it. So I'm trying not to demonize it. But again, uh, well, we'll get into the next bit now. So I said, write me a podcast script that details the attachment reward system in the brain as it relates to addiction. So very specific kind of uh, question. We've got podcast script detailing attachment reward system as it relates to addiction. So I asked this because, well, I've heard of some other stories which I'll get to after I've finished this. But in this addiction series that I've been doing, um, the attachment reward system was the next or is the next one that I'm going to do. But I'm just going to read out its response. And keep in mind... This response came probably within three seconds and it's typed almost as though, you know, you can see each word that it types next, which kind of gives you the feel that, at least it gives me the feel that it's kind of thinking. So here's its response. 
to a podcast script. Here we go. Welcome to Understanding the Brain, a podcast exploring the latest research in neuroscience. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the attachment reward system and its role in addiction. The attachment reward system is a network of brain structures that are involved in feelings of pleasure and reward. This system is activated when we engage in activities that are essential for our survival, such as eating and socialising. It helps to reinforce behaviours that are beneficial for us by releasing chemicals called neurotransmitters, which create feelings of pleasure and satisfaction. It's just hitting the nail on the head so far. This, we we're talking about dopamine. It's talking about eating and socialising. And we'll keep going. However, this system can also be hijacked by substances or behaviours that trigger the release of these neurotransmitters, leading to an intense feeling of pleasure or reward. Now it's getting at the point about the attachment reward system specifically. So it's done an introduction about kind of what's happening in the brain at the level of neuroscience, and then now it's delving it into addiction. When this happens repeatedly, when you know that these substances are hijacked to, to trigger this release of intense pleasure and reward, when this happens repeatedly, the brain can become accustomed to the higher levels of neurotransmitters and may require more of the substance or behavior to achieve the same level of pleasure. This is what I was talking about with uh, that kind of rough example of the Harlem Globetrotters. Continuing on, this is what can lead to addiction. As the person becomes increasingly attached to the substance or behavior, which is just unbelievable that it's created that, uh, it's been that specific, because even even some kind of uh, psychologists that you listen to talk on, on YouTube or whatever, they won't always be specific to say substance or behavior. So again, we'll keep going. Uh, I'll go from the beginning of that sentence again. This is what can lead to addiction. As the person becomes increasingly attached to the substance or behavior in order to experience pleasure and reward. The attachment reward system becomes dysfunctional and the person may prioritize substance or behavior over other essential activities and responsibilities. It still isn't finished yet, but I just want to comment on how I made this, I made reference to John Viveki and his Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series, talking about how you've got things that are happening in the environment, things that are happening in your body, and then your psychological kind of interpretation of that. And when you engage in things that are addictive for for that individual specifically, then the ideas that are in mind shrink, and then the ideas that you're attentive to in the world shrink as well. So this AI response is just hitting it all you know, hitting the nail on the head, as they say. And it's doing this because that shrinking, that mental shrinking of potential options out there in the world that could give me joy, and then on the environment side, not actually being aware of different options anymore. So there's the options in your mind, and then there's the options that you perceive out in the world. That is the dysfunction that, this AI system has just been talking about. 
That is that gravitational pull towards whatever it is, the substance or behavior that is addictive. We're almost finished. Um, the next thing it says, it's important to note that not everyone who uses a substance or engages in a behavior will become addicted. The risk of addiction is influenced by a variety of factors, including genetics, environment, and individual differences in brain chemistry. I'm not sure if you're grasping how insane this is as a response, especially to, to come back, to, to be written within three seconds. It is even commenting on things that, that society misses with addiction and some psychologists miss with addiction, saying that it's important to note that not everyone who uses a substance or engages in behavior, again, distinction between substance and behavior, that not all of those people will become addicted. Like this is, I, I actually cannot believe what this thing is capable of. Like it's being technical because that's technically true. Not everyone who uses a substance or engages in behavior will become addicted. But it's also expressing something that could be said to be empathetic and it doesn't have emotions. We said that before. But it is expressing information that acknowledges points of complexity that even most of society doesn't recognize with addiction because society is quick to judge. Two more paragraphs to go. Understanding how the attachment reward system works can help us to better understand the underlying mechanisms of addiction and develop more effective treatments. Thank you for listening to Understanding the Brain. Join us next time as we delve into the mysteries of the brain and explore the latest breakthroughs in neuroscience. Like, we got, I feel like I need to just stand up and drop my microphone because I actually cannot, like I just said, I cannot believe that something is able to respond that quickly. Like, that is, the, that is as good as anything that I could write and I would spend hours planning that it said it said that as again in three seconds so to go on with what i was going to say before students have been using this and check out jordan peterson online i think it was a four minute video i'll add it into the references a four minute video online or something like that where he's talking about students have oh, was it students used it or researchers of some form thought, okay, let's test this and we'll ask it a question of, okay, can you write my essay for me, you know, my uni essay? And you, so long as you put the right input into the question, it will give you an answer like that. And then they've, they've you know, they've submitted it. I'm not sure whether it was students submitted it or maybe it was researchers submitted it and kind of tested how it would go. But regardless, it gets like a you know a fairly good grade on on the marking rubric that whatever researcher or school or university whatever it was uses to to grade assignments. And then they thought, oh right, well if students can use this to get out of doing their job, 
maybe teachers can get out of doing the role of grading and resubmit the assignment onto ChatGBT and ask ChatGBT, can you grade this assignment? So ChatGBT has written an assignment and then been asked to grade its own assignment and it did it. It actually did it and was in the ballpark of being accurate. I just, I cannot believe how insane this is. What does this mean for the rest of the world? That, you know, legal systems uh, are there another example where people are using it. So, I don't know, I'm in uni now and I'm just not even really seeing the point. I mean, I obviously I enjoy the learning process and I still want to test myself, but, you know, humans have been competing amongst ourselves to to be creative and to push the limits and things like that which give us a sense of meaning which is kind of the flip side to addiction you know it's a addiction is like a distorted form of meaning it's it's not helping you uh, really act, self actualize as uh abraham maslow's kind of model would sort of say lots of people have heard of that but regardless if humans if we can no longer compete with the speed of something like this, and I don't, I don't really know what this means. Um, so because I don't know what it means, I'm going to just a second. Right, I'm going to have a friend of mine who's a software developer on the podcast to help educate myself more on this topic because, I mean, I think without a doubt it is as important as you know the threat of nuclear war between Russia, USA and China that's been going on. So to be clear though when I'm saying that, I'm not asserting that this whole form of AI will necessarily have the same devastating consequences as would a nuclear war, but I am saying that for both scenarios the world would be in the case of nuclear war or will be in the case of this AI uh, technology because it's happening. Um, and you get that you get that intensity, especially from listening to to Jordan Peterson. He's again, I would say, quite dystopian. He sees it through a very negative lens, um, whereas I'm just blown away at what this thing can do. So on the AI front, it seems plausible, seems possible that good could eventuate, because again, we we still are creative, and I just. I'm not willing to just completely give up hope. So we'll keep that in mind before we rush, you know, to kind of uneducated conclusions in either direction, either for or against. So if anybody else knows any more about this, then please send me a message. Like I said, I'm going to have somebody on um, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Yeah, so stay tuned. And, uh, and have a great day. <laughs>